know, I call it ego and empathy. Yeah. Uh, and I, you know, I think as, you know, as leaders and as people, you, you've got to have some ego for that drive. Right. You've, there has to be something that's driving you. Now, it may be the greater purpose of something, but there has to be some, you've got to have some drive for whatever motivates you. You've got to have that. And then you've got to have empathy on the other side of it. And that scale can't necessarily tip too heavy to one side to the other because you wind up being an over-sympathetic person and people running over you to a, a guy over here that's just super narcissistic uh, that, that'll run over everybody at all costs. And so making, balancing that scale um, with that drive and still having empathy for people, you can have empathy for people and not necessarily agree with that person. But being able to stop and listen and understanding where they're coming from is a big deal, you know, and, and I tell people all the time to come off. Welcome to Winning Strategies Playbook, the podcast where we welcome business leaders, CEOs, and industry experts to discuss the rise to the top, building wealth, and real estate insights. Here's your host, Jeremy Spann. Sean Michael. Jeremy Spann. Wasn't there a wrestler named Shawn Michael? Uh, yeah, there, there, there was a wrestler named Shawn Michael. I thought there was. Yeah, it dawned on me yesterday when we when we got off the phone. Is I was like, wait a minute, because I used to be a big WWF or WWE, whatever it is now. And uh, but you're better looking than that guy. Well, I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say that. I think he has a hunting show on TV now. He's got a hunting he, show. I think that's what he does. Now. That's where you're more interested in. Well, it goes even deeper than that. First of all, he has an S on the end of his name, which I've struggled with my entire <laughs> life. Uh, it's Shawn Michael, not Shawn Michaels. Um, one great story about that is, is it's probably around 1995, 1996. I get mail, and it's written. It's got this purple scrolly looking addressed Sean Michaels, which was common to see something come with an S on it, but not in purple scroll. And I get this three-page letter talking about this is my long-lost cousin that I'm coming to Philadelphia to wrestle and really would like backstage passes for her and her friends. And she's my wife and I are guessing she's about 15 based on yeah. how it's written and all the eyes and all the way the things are, are written in the letter. And, uh, Come to find out, I think he's from San Antonio, Texas. Huh. And so they just found some address from somebody with the name Shawn Michael in Texas and thought they would go ahead and fire that letter off. I started getting fan mail <laughs> for the wrestler. And I was not a WWE fan. So that was how I was alerted to that there was a wrestler named Shawn Michaels. Man, so what I would have done in that situation... We did I answer. Started, I would have started writing back. <laughs> we we answered would, a couple. I'm going to send you an autograph photo and just send me 15 bucks back or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we answered a couple of them. We sent them back, uh, letting them know that they actually had the wrong address. I didn't. I didn't want to tug the chain any more than than it was already going to be tugged. So you're like me in that we love jacking with people. Absolutely. Right? I mean that is just. I mean in guy code, that is just what you have to do. But when you're guys like you and I, it is almost like the epicenter of our existence if we know we can wind somebody up, right? It's, it's fun. So you're going to love this. This last Friday, I officiated a wedding. And it started off as a joke. Six months, no, it was prior to COVID. My good buddy, Eric Reed, um, you know, 
let's just, I mean, man, great, incredible guy, works at Origin Bank, incredible banker, just, just an all-around great, great skeet and sporting clay. I mean, this dude can hit anything out of the sky, right? Not as good as Vincent Hancock. Right. But he's pretty good. He's pretty good. And so Eric's widow, nobody ever wanted that for him. Um, he'd been a widow for a bit and met this great girl, Callie, and they'd been dating. And then finally it was like, we get to save the date, but they're going to go get married in Italy. So when I get the save the date card, I pick up the phone and I come and say, you get married? And he said, yeah. And I said, I'll marry you. Just kind of a joke. You know, yeah. me, me doing span, span usually does, right? So <laughs> he's like, oh, all right, well, if you want to come to Italy and see the wedding, you know, after, I was like, hey, I'm not, I'm not afraid of that, man. I throw 50 to 100,000 miles in the air a year alone just traveling. I'll, I'll go see this. And uh, then pandemic hits, right? So naturally, that puts everything on pause. So six weeks ago, he calls me and he says, hey, I want you to marry us. I want you to officiate my wedding. I was like, you know, I was joking about that. And he goes, no, I, re I really want you to do this. And I said, okay. And um, so I was like, yeah. I was like, what all do I got to do? As it turns out, to be ordained as a minister is it only takes about five minutes online, of which four and a half minutes is filling out your credit card and billing information. <laughs> and all of a sudden, boom, you are ominous, dominus. You are good to go, right? And um, But I always like surprising people. As much as I like Jack, but people like to surprise people. And everybody expected, he, he was doing it, just going, man, this is just going to be sure entertaining for everybody who shows up because you're going to get on there and you're going to put a show. So the first thing I do is I tell Tony. And I said, I really want to surprise people. I want, because... You know, for the audience out there, you and I share the same executive coach, right? Yeah, we right. don't know each other through Tony. We just, if something we learned later learned, we had the same executive coach. And uh, and I said, I really want, you know, one of the things we work on is, um, and Tony and I talked about it on our episode, is he had me one time uh, after a couple months of first meeting go, all right, I want you to write down these three words. Funny, likable, reliable. And he goes, if you were to be introduced to a, Crowded room that never met you before. What's the first word that you say? Ah, likable, hands down. What would be the next word? Funny. And he goes, what's the third word? I was like, I get your point. <laughs> You're smiling because you understand this, right? I understand. He's had these, these same conversations yes. with you, I'm sure. <laughs> you and I might be his two longest standing <laughs> uh, so. projects. He's making a killing off of us <laughs> because we've got all kinds of material for him to work on. Absolutely, right? absolutely. So I told him, I said, look, I really want to be this reliable, you know, professional and I said, so I want to surprise everybody. So, of course, him, you know, being a minister himself and coaching and couples therapy and everything. So he spends a couple of weeks getting me ready. And then, of course, I'm hearing it from Laura, right? She's like, don't you dare act like a jack-o'-lantern up there. Eric's been married before. He's probably not taking this as, you know, it's not as big of a deal. But this is Callie's first time to get married. You have to do this right. So I do, man. I, I spend some time really deep diving, talking with them, figuring out really what's important to them, and I get up there and I nail it. I kill it, man. It was just, it shocked everybody. There was enough funny in there to lighten the crowd, right. but it was just focusing on the both of them, in which Callie afterwards was like, I, I can't. I, she goes, I was really kind of expecting you to do you. <laughs> She goes, I was shocked by that. Thank you. Professional. Right? So I was happy to be reliable. But Tony has also told me, you can be reliable and still be likable and funny. So the funny part came a little bit later. 
So one of his groomsmen, a guy named Charles, they all went to A&M together, and, and he said, man, you, that, was, that was incredible. You really did a good job. I've officiated four of these. And I was like, oh, well, man, that's a great compliment. I appreciate that. And so he goes, yeah, Eric must have sent you my notes because I sent him a bunch of notes on me officiating weddings. And I was like, and I was completely serious. I was like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, I didn't even know how to do it. Eric sent me a link. I downloaded it. I got officiated, got their certificate, and worked on my speech. He goes, well, man, you did really good at not looking at my notes. And I was like, well, maybe I need to share mine with you, <laughs> you know? And because I could see this guy's getting a little frustrated, right? And of course, it's like blood in the water for sharks, right? Like, ooh, that hit a nerve. And the rest of the guys are sitting around, like the other guys have put it together. They were like, I don't know where this is going, but this is going to be fun to watch, right? So I was like, yeah. And I was like, man, I was really happy. And, you know, I mean, I thought I gave a pretty good bargain on this. He goes, what do you mean? What do you mean bargain? I was like, yeah, I mean, $1,500. And man, they said yes to $1,500 so quick. I should have quoted $3,000. <laughs> He's like, they gave you $1,500 to do this? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he said, well, you know, the going rate's only like two or 300 And I was like, well, <laughs> unless you get me. And I was like, and I killed it. <laughs> He's getting really <laughs> frustrated, right? And he goes, the best I've ever gotten is my friends paid for my hotel room. And I was like, man. Again, I'll help you out. I'll send you my notes. Maybe we can up the value in this thing for you whenever you do it. He's like, and, and Alex Sabilski, who's a great friend of me and Eric's, he's the only one that wasn't in I'm a TCU guy. Alex is a tech guy. All these other guys are Aggies. And so here's Alex. He's like, man, uh, he goes, when are you going to let this guy off the hook? I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We let this one go for as long as it'll let it go, right? And he's, he goes, seriously, did they really give you 1500 And I was like, yeah, he gave me a check. And I was like, well, actually, technically, it was Venmo. <laughs> he's just getting pissed. And he goes, they gave you 1500 And I said, well, technically, I only received 500 in cash. And he goes, well, that's a little bit better. And I said, yeah. I said, we went on this dove hunting trip up at Casey Donahue's place, and it was 1000 a person. So he just covered me for that and gave me the difference of the 500 bucks. He gets frustrated again, right? He's just mad. Alex is like, be nice. And I was like, no, man, he's, he's working himself up. I'm like, I'm just guiding him to complete frustration. So, <laughs> Eric's mom walks up, not knowing anything about the conversation. She comes up and she just goes, Stan, you did an incredible job. We really expected you to be funny and you did just an awesome job. Thank you for making that so wonderful. And I was like, well, thanks, Mrs. Reed. And I was like, was it 1500 worth? And she goes, oh, it's worth way more than that. <laughs> not even knowing what's going on in the conversation. In so, he's, so he's just, he, he doesn't even want to talk to me the rest of the night, right? He's just like, man, I should have been charging this all along and blah, 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 blah. So I see Eric and Callie, you know, that, you know, I try not to ever bother the bride and groom when I go to a wedding because you know how it is, man. It's just you're running the circuit. So they come by to say hi. And I was like, oh, yeah. I said, hey, by the way, when you see Charles, y'all gave me 1500 And he goes, what? And Eric goes, what? And I was like, oh, yeah. And I was like, and he's wound up about it. And I was like, but we can let him off the hook if you like. And he goes, oh, no. We let him figure this one out on his own, even if it takes years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> so it was just kind of, so, you know, always being the, you know, joker, I got to be reliable, but still got to be likable and funny. Like, yeah. like, like Tony says, my father-in-law says that I got to do a joke for each one of these recordings. Yeah. So I got a joke for you. And this one's perfect for you. Okay. I'm ready. Sean Michael, Lawn Smith Roofing, right? Yeah. 
Want to hear a joke about... You want to hear a joke about the roof? Or a roof? I apparently didn't finish writing it all down. A, a you want to hear good. a joke about a roof? Absolutely. Well, the first one's on the house. Mm. Mm. Should I write that down? I'll, I'll text it to you. Text it to me. <laughs> I want to keep. I want to keep. I want to keep that one. Like good, clean. One. Yeah. Good first clean one's on the house. Joke, right? Yeah. First absolutely. one's on the house. Absolutely. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that. Wasn't expecting that. I've I've managed to come up with uh, uh, some clean ones. None, none of this is original material in my part. I've totally plagiarized this off of something I found on the internet. Good. So. Right. Yeah. So, man, thanks for coming and joining thanks us Thanks for having today. me. No, thanks for having me. No, honored to be here. Yeah, this is great. So, how many years have you been in the roofing industry now? I've been with Lawn Smith Roofing for 28, going on 29 years. So, wow. So, I hit a couple of milestones this year through, I turned 50. So that you can back into how old I was when I started full-time. Yep. Celebrated my 25th wedding anniversary. Good for you. And the third milestone that I hit is I, my wife and I became empty nesters. So now I have Ooh. two daughters in college, one at uh, Oklahoma University and one at Auburn, uh, which we're going to Auburn this weekend to, to actually visit her. So uh, get to go see her and her element. So 28 years, almost 29 years in the roofing industry, and I actually started – uh, two years before that as a summer job in college. I would not call it an internship either. That would be <laughs> way too fancy for what I was doing. Uh, I wouldn't say that I was actually putting shingles on, but it, it was hot and laborious, that's for sure. Right. And, um, you know, Fort Worth kid, grew up in Fort Worth, had the baseball dream like a lot of kids do, tried my little spot at college. College baseball did not miss me. Um, <laughs> I would like to blame it on injury. Uh, I did have some arm problems as a pitcher, but uh, college baseball did not miss me. Yeah, uh, Went down to Stephen F. Austin for my first year of school and then went to Texas Tech. And when I got out of school at Tech, I thought, you know, I'm going to try this roofing business uh, for a little bit, see what will it'll happen there. And 28, almost 29 years later, here we are. Here we are. That is some dedication. And, and, and it's something that you don't see in – our generation very much anymore. It seems like our parents' generation were the last ones to spend an entire career in the same industry, let alone the same company. So that's you're a standard deviation out from the norm. Yeah, now, right. No, no doubt. So what is tell tell me about that? Well, you know, we're a 46 year old company. Yep. Serving the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex for 46 years. Um, that's unusual, somewhat. To stay under one ownership for 46 years, we're we're moving into Gen 2, uh, looking forward to our next 46 years. So, uh, and really, you know, a lot of people ask us, you know, what, what makes Lawn Smith Roofing so much different than your competition? And a lot of times when I hear people say, you know, is it, you know, is it, is it your sales process? Is it, you know, what is it about the products you use? It's not. It's about the people. It's about the people that we employ. Uh, I know you and I have had discussion before, but uh, we have currently at our company working today over 20 people who have been employed with Lawn Smith Roofing for more than 15 years. Wow. We have 17 over 20. Wow. 
three over 30 and one that retired after 38. Not to mention the others who retired after 20 years of service. So, how, how many over 30 did you say? I think we've got three currently over 30. Three over 30. So you haven't even been there the longest. I haven't even been there the longest. Wow. That is something. And so when you really think about it, if you know how to treat your employees, they're going to stay around. Right. If you don't know how to treat the employees, how do you think you're going to be able to treat your customers properly? I think there's a lot of secret in the sauce to the culture, the environment that we have there, that people want to stay and work and grow and advance um, in a local business, uh, in a family business. We're family-owned and operated business, and that's that's not everywhere today. It does make us unique. That is incredibly. I mean, that speaks to a culture that I think many companies are trying to figure out the formula for, Yeah. right? Because a lot of people don't realize, A, how much damage a toxic employee can do. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. And two, how costly it is for a business for an employee to come and go. Yeah. yeah. What, what is training alone? cost, the expense to that. Yeah. Turnover. You know, Lonnie was, uh, Lonnie was a genius in his own right. He died way too young at 50 years, 58 years of age, uh, had lung cancer. And the, one of the things, I mean, he was a motivational guy, mentor. Uh, he believed in people far greater than they believed in themselves. And I remember him first giving me a book. Do you remember the book, Think and Grow Rich? Mm-hmm. Still got it on my shelf. And yeah. The Mastermind Alliance. Yeah. Uh, he was a big believer in surrounding yourself with people who are smarter than you are that had experience and uh, to help you make the right decisions. And he did that well. Um, that's really one of the main reasons who we are, to why we are what we are today, the reasons why we do business the way we do it, how we do it. And we hope that translates over into our customer through our training and everything that we do. And, and it's really about thinking the people that came before you. I mean, him, uh, the visionary that he was. I mean, Scott Hamilton, been with the company for 30-plus years. Uh, David Cox bringing uh, systematic approaches to what we do. Um, from Judy Smith being there on a daily basis. And just everything from our production department, our HR department, uh, which is unusual in a roofing company mm -hmm. uh, to have. And, you know, I looked at the numbers today just because I knew I was coming here. Uh, over 27% of our employees have been there longer than 20 years. Wow. That's a number. Uh, and I think that speaks volumes uh, for, for the organization. That is huge. And especially like when you and I were talking on the phone yesterday is you and I work in industries where it is a revolving door of people coming and going. No question. So to have 27% retention of over 20 years is, wow. It's, it's almost like a unicorn. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a number. Uh, one of the things that we've done over the years is, uh, and, and I really dedicated my, myself to it through particularly our sales organization, which has bled on to other parts of, uh, of the business, is, is training. Uh, 2016, uh, I made it a point that we were going to train better and more than any other organization that I know of, not just roofing. So when I started assembling a new team, uh, adding, bringing people on, uh, 
telling young men that you're going to meet me at 6.30 in the morning. And we're going to go for two hours, five days a week. We did that for about six months. Five days a week, two hours every morning before they actually hit the streets, went out and started evaluating roofs and looking at things. What that did is it developed a culture to where now today we do it three days a week. And when they don't have it, hey, we're going to have training tomorrow, aren't we? We miss one. Now they want it. Uh, it's a camaraderie. It's a, it's a level of commitment that you can't buy that. Mm -mm. You have to earn that. Uh, and these guys are phenomenal. And so I go back to the people. You know, the people in the organization, our, our estimating sales staff that's out there, all the way from our inspectors to everybody that works for our organization. It's about the people. We, Man, I just saw something that started over the last couple of years, which now being an empty nester and having girls, and I can't believe that I'm in the position now to where somebody might get ask me for teen, teenager advice. <laughs> um, and... And so, you know, we've got these, you know, we've got these young new employees, what people call new blood coming in the organization. They've been there two, three, four, five years. And it's not, it's not a company sponsored event. We love it when it happens, but our employees now are, they're, they're making a point to have baby showers for people that are having, that are, you know, young couples having their first or second child. They're having, a, on a Friday, they'll schedule and have a baby shower at the office for, we had one for Stetson here recently, him and his wife, his wife came up to the office and Everybody gathered around and uh, had a baby shower for him. And after the, after the deal, I hope I'm not spilling his words improperly or sharing something he wouldn't want to share, but I said, you know, how was that? You know, you're a new dad coming there. And he goes, it's the nicest thing anybody's ever done for me. Wow. And I was like, wow, that's, yeah. that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. The company didn't do it. The rest of the employees did it for him and his wife. And so it goes back to the people that we have, you know, very thankful for those people. Yeah. Man, so you've gone from literally in the trenches, elevated through the company, now being the old gray hair guy the old that's going to give guy. advice, yeah, right? Yeah. Leader in the organization saying, here's what we're going to do. I'm like you. I'm in my second year of being an empty nester. Well, actually, you could call it 1.5 because we got re- Reinterjected of our daughter back in our house because of the pandemic, naturally. Yes, but technically, we're on our second year of being empty nester, and you're right. I mean, it's just you're, it's a totally different feeling of where you're at. And like you said, it's almost funny because now people are coming to you going, hey, what, what did you do when you experienced something like this? Which is funny because I can go, well, let me tell you what I did that I wouldn't do again. <laughs> Always. Always. <laughs> let me tell you what will backfire and blow up in your face. And um, and so that kind of brings me to that thing called experience, right? Yeah. Experience isn't something we get from batting a thousand. No. <laughs> experience is something we get from striking out, foul ball, Whatever, right? Can't be afraid to strike out. No, no. I mean, 20, 29 years in, in a company, how many times have you struck out? I'm not sure that I've started counting those. <laughs> I don't know that I want to I don't know that I want to go back and count that stat. I don't know that I want that on the back of my card. My, my, my tops card, I don't know that I want that stat on the back of it how many times I've struck out. You know, oh, we only yeah. like to, you know, it, it is funny, you know. Uh, 
you and I had this conversation yesterday. It's yeah. fun to talk about the wins, and the wins are ego-driven and uh, yeah. the chest-pumping things, but a lot of people don't like to talk about their failures and, and where they went wrong, and, you know, that's where the learning really – I mean, you can learn from your wins, don't get me wrong, but where you mess up is – that, that's where you learn. I mean, we call them at our office. We call them ditches. You know, I mean, you don't you don't want to get in that ditch. You know, we we went in that ditch. We covered. We put dirt in it. We covered it up. We we're teaching you that this is not where you want to go because it's not yeah. a good spot. Yeah. So let's don't go in that ditch again. And so you know, learning from others is and and others' experiences is a big deal. Yeah. Paying attention. Yeah. My so my nephew is a senior at TCU, um, and. Unfortunately, my, my brother's had a lot of problems in his adult life, and uh, so he's not really in the picture. So I've, and it's been really exciting for me to be this parenting role model mentor for my nephew, since naturally all we have is a daughter. Yeah. And so I get to do the guy time thing with him, and he's pretty, let me tell you, all things considered, of course, he, his mother is an incredible mother. Wow. I mean, that's, I, I could do a podcast series just on her and the challenges she's faced and where she's come in life. So I really have to give a shout out for Lindsay of just taking it, you know, the old saying, you know, in life hands you lemons make lemonade. Yep. Well, let me tell you what, she turned into a lemonade stand, right? And so here's Elijah. He's interning for me, um, which whenever he's talking to my dad, his grandfather, He's like, yeah, I'm just pretty much Uncle Buddy. He calls me Uncle Buddy. Uncle Buddy's pinata, right? I mean, he just, he gives me every bad thing there is to do, every tough thing. And so along the way, I was telling him, I said, look, I said, um, I want you, the reason I want you to go do these little things is it allows you to understand when I share some experiences with you. Because I don't want you to repeat those experiences. I want you to have new experiences that I never experienced because I didn't push things far enough because I just uh, timed the runway, right? And my runway ran out. And I want you to extend that runway to go make new mistakes and different mistakes and be able to just go out here and be as successful as you can. But like you said, it's easy to talk about the fun wins, but it's it's hard to open up that kimono and be vulnerable and say, let me tell you about the not so good stuff. Right. Yeah. And, um, and so he's come a long ways and, um, you know, it was funny. He and his, um, I was going to have him go do something for me. This was, this was a couple months ago. And, uh, and I've got me and my business partner have eight TCU student rental properties. And I needed him to go do something, and I was like, he, I wake up in the morning, you know, like, you, you know, I mean, I get up at four in the morning, and I see a text. He's like, hey, Uncle Buddy, me and my buddies went out and party tonight, but I just want you to know we are going to show up. We are going to do it. And I was like, oh, yeah, well, job just <laughs> changed. <laughs> and it was definitely going to be a summertime outside physical labor where I wanted it to suck as bad as it could. And, uh, and so the lesson as he came to me, he goes, you don't do anything without a reason. He goes, there's a reason behind everything you have me do. And he goes, what was the lesson? I said, the lesson, I said, the good news is, is you still showed up. I said, the lesson is, if you're going to play, you're going to pay. And life 
is full of plans changing. No question. So even though you were like, I can go play because it's not going to be that bad tomorrow and I'll still be good and I'll still go do it. Life can jerk that rug out from underneath you. But I said, you still showed up. And I said, but it becomes easier to remember that lesson the more painful it is. And I'm not doing it because I'm trying to be a mean uncle or anything else. I just wanted him, wanted him to learn that from, from this age so that way as he goes forward and develops into the leader that I believe he is going to be, he's got some examples, right? Yeah, it's a, with, with youth today, I mean, it's funny that I say that. I mean, sometimes my wife doesn't picture me as a 50-year-old uh, <laughs> with those buttons that you and I talked about pushing. Yeah. But, uh, and we'll, I think we'll get more into that here in just a little bit about going back in time a little bit about experiences and learning, uh, you know, whenever, whenever we were younger and yeah. things we might do or change differently. Um, but before we go in, one thing I don't want to forget to mention is something that that we back on Lawn Smith Roofing that, that our company's very passionate about. Yeah. And it's a program that you're aware of that, uh, that we started. It's called Roof for Vets. Yeah. Roof for Vets program. And what that program entails is, is once a quarter, we have uh, folks will nominate uh, somebody who they think deserves a new free roof. And they'll, they'll go to our website, uh, www.lawnsmith.com, go to Roofs for Vets, nominate it, it walks them through the process. Uh, Jordan and Debbie at our office, they get the information, make any calls. Uh, we go out to their home, look at it, kind of do a little small interview with them. And we'll usually have anywhere from two to six nominees. We've had as many as 12 or 15 nominees uh, for a quarter. And what we always try to do is, is we'll, we'll award that who the committee believes is the most deserving vet. They're all deserving. Sure. But you got to pick that one. And so we've committed to do four a year. Um, this year, we've normally been doing about six, five or six, even though we committed to four. This year, we're struggling to get five or six in, uh, just given the current environment. Uh, but we have an, another one coming up here in the next next month or so. We don't have an exact date yet. Uh, but it's a program that we're very passionate about. For anybody that listens to this, I'd like them, if in the events you think of somebody that's that's a veteran that's fallen on hard times or just needs some some help one way or the other as it pertains to roofing needs. I mean, we wind up helping them through other needs that they have with their property. Um, go to www.lawnsmith.com, uh, go to the Roofs for Vets tab and nominate somebody or forward it to somebody if, if they know somebody in need. And it's something that, we, that we're very passionate about. We've been doing about four or five years now, and it spawned out of a national organization that was non-vet related, and it was uh, a company called uh, No Roofs Left Behind. Mm-hmm. But it was just, it was random people that were nominated. And it's a good program. It's, they're good, good people. Um, but we were more passionate about being specific to one area and our company and the people that work there are passionate about vets. So that's kind of one of the things I didn't want to forget to mention as we're talking. So that's why I kind of stopped and wanted to visit about it. Yeah. And I can tell you, I mean, you and I have done a lot of stuff together for vets, you know, whether sponsorships, fundraisers, Cowtown Warriors, what have you. And I got to tell you, as a United States Marine Corps veteran, nothing warms my heart more than when we see folks like y'all doing something. Because for a lot of people, that may seem like a very simple thing, but that's not. That is huge. I mean, a roof... Being in the real estate industry, roof can make or break a deal. Sure. Period. And not just that, but the damage that it can cause if you have 
an insufficient roof of what it does to the house, which therefore devalues the house because of the problems it's causing. All, I mean, without breaking down the whole sciences and making sausage out of the deal, when it's not, it's not just a, a simple thing. It's a big thing, and roofs are expensive. Can be. Oh, man. I mean, they can be expensive. And, and you know, especially here in Texas, I, I tell clients all the time, look, you don't need a perfect roof. You just need an insurable roof because <laughs> you are one hailstorm away from getting a roof anyways, no matter how perfect or whatever it is. I mean, I mean I've, I've had three roofs on our current house since 2007 because I think I'm right in the middle of Hellstorm Alley, right? You're I mean, close. it just, it's right there. Yeah, and I mean, just gets nailed. But long story short is that is a big deal. And um, and that makes a difference for that bet's life, whether that bet is going to stay in that house or sell the house or, or, or whatever. That's, that's, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big deal. And that y'all are passionate about doing that means a lot to this veteran right here. So thank you for doing that. Uh, thank you. I mean, we, we like, we, like I said, we'd like to give one to everyone that's nominated. One of the things that we do do is we roll them into the next roll their story in so we try not to take people out of the pool and try to give everybody their their uh, their day uh, if you will you know for us to say thank you for their service yeah uh, it's a small thing that we that we can do for them but uh, it's uh, it's important that we that we look after our veterans yeah no I I, I couldn't agree with you more um, I think we live in a world where because of Media and social media and whatnot, um, people forget that we still got men and women that are putting it on the line every yeah. single day. Every day. And we've we've lived in a luxury of freedom for so long that folks don't realize how fast that can change, you know. And, you know, without, you know, I try to be very careful not to cover politics, religion, and everything else is, but right now the country is very polarized, right? And, and it's really, it's really tough because it's almost like you're, you don't even get to be an independent. You, you can no longer not have an opinion. It's like, no, you have to choose. And if you don't choose with the way the person likes, you know, you're almost ridiculed from both sides. Sure. And so I'm not saying that's going to lead us anywhere that's going to cause anything big, but it's definitely not healthy. And while all this is going on, we've still got men and women, arms away, protecting what we do, whether or not people agree with the mission of what's going on. And so having that support for veterans is huge. So just to give you an idea of what the population is of veterans, so we've got like, what is it, 350 million Americans that live in this country. Um, and between World War II vets, which there's only maybe a handful of them to present, to include active duty members of the military and reservists, makes up, I think the last number I checked was less than 6.5% of the population. And that your active duty military makes up less than 1% of the population. So less than 1% of the population is keeping evil outside the door. And that's just, that's a real number. That's a real thing. And now with World War II and Korea vets dying off, Vietnam vets who, Agent Orange, I mean, my dad, I mean, he's, turns out he had cancer from Agent Orange. You know, he tours in Vietnam and 
And so those guys are going to be, you know, dropping like flies. And when yeah. that happens, that number of percentage of people that have taken the oath to serve this country against enemies foreign and domestic is a real small population. And that's just, yeah, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Yeah, real thing. absolutely. So thank you for you and your company doing that for vets. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you... Uh, uh, and it was funny because your root for vets. I had that written down on my notes. We were we were we were definitely gonna uh, we were definitely gonna get to that. So you and I met a couple of years ago at Defender Outdoors. We did right. Cold and, rainy day. Yeah, it was it was a cold rainy day, and uh, we were at the indoor range. And for the audience who doesn't know about Defender Outdoors, is Defender Outdoors is the largest indoor shooting range and retail space in all of North Texas, I believe. And it's got a rifle range inside. It's got several pistol ranges. And then they have the Shield Club. So I think last number was there's 80 of us that are Shield Club members. We got private range and a lounge. So that way, with, with an open bar for after the shooting, not before the shooting. <laughs> and, um, and so and they, you can, part of the Shield Club is you don't even rent the guns. You just pay for the ammo and they bring in a RSO and, I had a bunch of clients in there, and we were zipping through all kinds of ammo. We were shooting everything under the sun from MP5s to the whole nine yards. And uh, and I was in there with some clients, and it's got that big bulletproof glass window, and I saw you and Garrett in there. Never met y'all in my life. Right. And I just kind of slapped it and was like, hey, come on in here. Come on in here. And I was like, y'all want to shoot these? and. What? And they're like, who's this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Look, we'll go get it. We'll go get our own ammo. And we're like, no. Yeah. No, step right up. Yeah. And that was actually both of our first time to ever shoot a fully automatic weapon. Yeah. Uh, How yeah. was it? It was outstanding. We still <laughs> we still got the video. To back up on that story, so the the part that Garrett and I Garrett and I talk about is is We'd gone in there. It was lunchtime. We'd gone in there to look. He had, was inquiring about something. I said, let's go over here. It's a new place. Take you in there show you what they got. And so we go in there, and uh, and the gal's talking, you know, do you want to know about the memberships and things like that? And it's X number of dollars a month, and you get this, and you get this. And, and then there was a deal over. It said the Shield Club. And then there was this, this lady, was young lady was taking this cart. And she had this car, and she had all these guns on it and stuff. And, I'm, and she takes off that way. And I go, where's she going <laughs> with that stuff? And she said, oh, well, she's going down to the chill club. I go, I don't want to hear about the rest of this. I want to go where that is. <laughs> and that's how we got in there and uh, to ultimately find you because, you know, I was like a kid in a candy store, you know. Yeah. Like, wow, this is incredible. You know, I've never seen anything like this. And uh, so that's how we wound up down in, inside the Shield Club, uh, where we actually wound up meeting. And we wound up visiting a little bit uh, about roofs and uh, the pitfalls of uh, in real estate deals. And oh yeah, I can imagine from your side of things, um, we see we do a lot of real estate work, right? Uh, and I know we do work for you and your clients. Yeah. And we go out and we take a look at the roofs. And the one thing we know for certain is it can. The wrong thing that happens on the roof can kill the whole real estate deal. Yeah. I mean, I I know you've seen that. Yeah. And buying a house is really not an emotional decision, is it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) 
We would like for our clients to take that approach, but, but not always. But but even even for I mean I I've only lived in three. My wife and I built our first two homes and and remodeled our third one, which we'll never do again. Right. And uh, it's always kind of an emotional decision yeah. to make the move. It's an emotional decision to leave, and so people are kind of their emotions are really involved in it. And it's either both parties, the people that are selling, and or my house is perfect, my house is not, and. You know, normally in a real estate transaction, we don't get involved until, I believe your industry calls it the home inspector, Mm -hmm. actually comes out and he looks at everything around the house and he may make a note to what he sees and attach photographs to deficiencies in the roof, whether it be weather damage or tree damage or whatever, maybe age or whatever, or it may be just simply say, consult a professional roofer. Yeah. And so... We don't get the call. Usually the home inspector, and you guide me in this direction. You're yeah. the professional in real estate. And we usually don't get the call until there's an option period. There's a contract. There's an intent to purchase the home. There's a contract that gets put on it. And the average contact, contract or the option period time that we see is about 10 days. Is that right? Yeah, about 7 to 10. 7 to 10 yep. days. Yep. And so we usually don't get the call. The inspector usually gets out there on what? Day two, day three? Yeah. Okay. So a couple of days are already gone. We get the call on day four when the report gets. Mm-hmm. So now we've got two or three, maybe five days here to get out there, get it looked at, if there's anything that's wrong with the roof, put together a scope and a repair estimate or a replacement estimate, depending on what goes on. And we're either working with the realtor, with the buyer, with the seller, with the seller. We could have potentially four or five customers in one transaction, if you really think about it. Right. Um, because we want the experience when Launchsmith Roofing comes out, we want the experience to go as that, hey, Jeremy's satisfied with the service that we're getting. We're out there in a timely manner. Our scope is accurate. The work that we do is good. He, clients don't call him back after we've done the work. Hey, this guy you call me, you sent out here to do my roof repair. I mean, can't get him to come and do the work, mm-hmm. whatever it may be. And so, you know, over the years, we've learned that our job is not to interject ourselves into the real estate transaction. Right. Our job is to provide a service so that the experience goes well for all parties because the people who moved out of that house, they're moving to a new home. Mm-hmm. If they get a good, they feel like the process went good from Lawnsmith Roofing and they're out of that house, they're done with that roof, but they've got a new roof on the new home, hopefully, mm-hmm. or potentially in the, in the years to come. We do the process and then that realtor over there is going, God, Span, he, why has he got all the good guys? Right. You know, we like to think of ourselves as one of the good guys. Why has he got all the good guys? Man, I might give Lon Smith Roofing a try to next time I've got a client that's got a roof problem. So we don't look at it as just hone in on the one person that we're there for. We realize that, you know, we're servicing everybody. Now, we don't obviously talk to everybody, but our job is to go out there and be professional and, and just get, get the work done and let, let everybody else make the decision on how they want to proceed with it. Yeah, and you couldn't be more accurate. And and that's the thing. So it's that experience, right? It's that relationship. Yeah. I I'm an extroverted person that I just I just want people to experience things. Just like you and Garrett that day, y'all were looking at us, hey, you ever shot one of these things? No. Yeah, was, yeah come do it. I mean it's and you're you're like, man, let me take care of them. I was like, man, <laughs> trust me, we got this covered, man. I got like three thousand rounds here, which by the way, when you're shooting fully automatics, it doesn't take long to go through three thousand no. rounds. 
And it is so posh because the RSO is loading a magazine. Like you don't even have to do it. You just pick it up and burp and it's, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's done, right? And um, it's so, but, uh, but I remember that day and we were sitting here talking and one of my frustrations is having reliable people. And it doesn't mean that they're bad, not unreliable people. It's just sometimes they have life events, mm -hmm. right? And we'd kind of gone from one roofer to another roofer to, man, this guy was a very good friend of mine, and I had a lot of respect for him. But there were some, I don't want to drag his name or any of his business through any of it, but there were some life events that were going on where the reliability wasn't hitting there. Not because he's a bad person, not because he's bad in business. There were some life events going on. Sure. And so... Our paths crossed, and it was like, look, I've actually, I think that day I told Garrett, I said, well, actually, man, this is great. I've been waiting on my guy to go out here for a week. Can you go out here and take a look? And then it was just that you knew what you were going to get, right? Right. That, that, hey, there's no guessing in it. As Tony likes to say, confusion creates fear. Agreement builds trust. Clarity builds agreement. Unanswered questions create confusion. You know, the whole, you're laughing because this is, he's literally like if he was sitting in this room right now. Yeah, right? I might have pages of notes over here from our sessions. And so that became the element where Garrett was just on it and, 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 and taking care of it that just like uh, one, of, one of my guesses um, that's been on here is Julie Howe, Prime Lending, is... When I know she's got the deal, I have no concerns. Just like when I know y'all have the deal, there is no concerns. You know, if Garrett comes back, it's like, nah, there's nothing wrong with this roof. Or, yeah, there was a few things, but I climbed up there and fixed it. It wasn't that big of a deal. Or, hey, this thing is pretty bad. Or yeah. this thing really, really needs it. And it's that trust factor, right, of knowing that it can get handled the right way and allows us to be focused. And, and so it's just, um, it's just really funny how we intersect with each other at the right times. And then I'm about learning from people. I love learning, hearing, and watching success. I mean, that's really what this podcast is about. Winning strategies playbook. That you didn't just get to the level of success where you're sitting because you woke up on the right side of the bed one day, right? Is there's been a lot of time, a lot of effort, and there's a lot of things that we deal with in these things. Like you're talking about emotion. Like I'm, I'm probably, I don't know how, how hard a water I'm, I'm treading on this one, but I had a, a recent deal and it was a big boy. It was a big boy. Um, I mean, it's a seven figure deal. And during the process of it, I was representing the seller, and the buyer wanted some items to go with the house, and one of them being a piano. Uh, and the seller was like, yeah, you know, that's fine. Hadn't discussed it mm. with Mrs. Seller, right? And how many times have we tripped on ourselves before we've made a decision on something that seemed like it wasn't a big deal, and as it turns out, it wasn't a big deal to us, but to the other party we share a household <laughs> with was a big deal. <laughs> So then, um, and the thing about it is the agent on the other side of this deal is actually a really good, good agent. I had a lot of respect for this professional who 
did his job the way it should be done, right? He's dotting I's, crossing T's. Um, there's no BS to it. There's, you know, hey, let's, you yeah. know, any fogginess, let's make this clear. Let's make this transparent. So the buyers that he's representing now have their hearts set on this piano. They've already anticipated there's going to be piano lessons and so forth. Well, then we get down to the inspection period, and we knew there were some deferred maintenance things on the house that were going to happen. Yeah. And um, so the report comes back, and my seller's like, no, you know how it is. Starts off, I'm not going to do anything. And the buyers are like, all right, well, we're asking for this. And it was like, okay, well, I'll do half. And they're like, well, we want full. And it's like, okay, well, he saw an opportunity to go, hey, wait a minute. Okay, I'll do full, but I'll, I want to keep the piano because – you know, he's getting an earful at no home, right? Right. And we've all been there. Every one of us have been there. Some of us a lot more often than we should be, <laughs> like myself. And and so the other side was like, no, piano stays in. This deal terminated because of a piano. So, you, so when folks say, well, emotion doesn't get involved, and it's not that my client was being emotional about it, but he was receiving some emotion from the party that he shares a household with. No question. And on their side, they had made an emotional, and and it was funny because (laughs) the agent and I were just like, how much is the piano, man? Like, well, well, this is a goodbye damn piano, right? I mean, this is this is a seven-figure deal. Like, yeah. why, why are why are we losing this thing over a, a piano that costs a couple of grand? I mean, we're not talking about something that was a Claiborne or, you know, like was, was in the symphony or whatever. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a piano. But there was— It started out a sport uh, negotiation, and it wound it, up in uh, an ownership. Uh, right. And the deal fell apart. Fell apart. Yeah. And— and and I, and I I never forget, like, Agent and I were talking, and he goes— did this deal really fall apart because of an effing piano? And I said, yeah, it sure did. And um, But those things happen, right? People get emotional. Now, fortunately, the deal never stops with us, right? And I had, during that process, managed to get a backup offer that was for even more money. But no piano. No piano <laughs> and cash. And so while that deal terminated on a Saturday, we closed by Friday with a cash deal. Wow. So being the point is so many people along the path would have just been like, ah, you know, hey, I've got the deal. We're good. And then they wait for chaos to hit. And I'm always trying to, not just me, when I say I, I really mean my team. My, my team is really who does... It's all about the people. Oh, oh man, they they do all the heavy lifting. People are like, "Hey, I want you to go." I'm like, "Really? You don't want me? You want them? They're they're the ones that are really going to deliver the value. I'm just a you know not so pretty face for this thing." And so when so is you just constantly drive that value and keep in the game and keep pushing because you don't want your client to be left with no chair when the music stops playing, right? No question. And so, yeah. So it's really interesting when you bring up uh, emotion in that. So. So you're, you, I mean, how many times have you seen like something emotional over a roof that was When you were just, telling that story, I was thinking, it's been, it's been about four years ago or so. Yeah. And occasionally I still go out in the field and get with my guys and, and stay in touch with what's going on in the home. And 
we were out at home and uh, it was over in Ridgely Country Club Estates is where it was at. And yeah. uh, uh, we're dealing with the mister in the, pro, in, the, in the process. And he was a previous customer of ours and uh, going back and they needed a new roof. They had a recent hailstorm hail from 2016 and uh, they're out showing him the sample boards and the color. This is what you got. You want to go back with that? And he goes, nope. Points to a house across the street. Down around, we had to walk around the side yard, lived on a corner. Points down the street. He goes, I want that roof. He was going from a gray roof to a black brown roof. And so guy was a little bit younger guy. I was going through the process and it's not because I'm so smart, but because mm-hmm. I've been down this ditch before. Right. <laughs> I like how you call it the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm sitting there thinking to myself, I'm like, all right, it's time to interject a little wisdom in this thing. Yeah. So I just asked the guy, I said, let me ask you a question. I said, yeah. I said, do you have the authority to make that decision? Ooh. <laughs> and I wasn't doing it to degrading, but right. I've been in this ditch. Oh, yeah. And he goes, hell yes, was his answer. Yeah. Within 30 minutes, we had made it from Ridgely Country Club Estates back over to our office. Right. Our phone was ringing. <laughs> And there was a lady on the phone that was livid, absolutely livid. And I, I'm not going to say her name. But right, I said, right, right, right. Ma'am, would you like for us to come back out and bring this? She goes, I mean, she, there was a lot of four-letter words that were, that were used in that conversation that she was dropping on us. Right. I said, we'll be, we'll be there in 15 minutes. Right. So we get back over there, and he comes outside, and she is letting us have it. Like, we picked Taking the wrong, you to the woodshed. We picked the oh, wrong color. Yeah. And I just said, ma'am, ask your husband what question I asked him. Yeah. And he said it, and I go, and, you resp- and she goes, well, how did you respond? <laughs> <laughs> and so he didn't respond to her like he responded to me. Yeah. And I just looked at him. I was like, "Okay, mm-hmm. okay." Oh yeah. I didn't want to throw him too far under the bus, but you know, it was just an emo- It's you got to remember. I always talk about we do commercial work as well, not just residential work, right? And you know, you can go out and work on somebody's. You own a building. I come out and do work on it, and something happens. You get a leak after we've left, and you call us and hey, Sean, you know, you guys put the roof on, whatever. I need you to come out and check some things, see what's going on with it. So we go back out and do that. But that's your office, that's your place of business, and you would think that would be the most important thing in your life. But your home is your castle. Mm-hmm. It's not your house. It's your home. It's where you raise your kids, where you have your private times, where you enjoy yourselves, where you get away from your business, and it's your home. And so any time that things don't go right in the home, on the home, it causes emotions to rise. Yeah. Um, and so you've got you've to have empathy for people. Yeah. Um, that's a big deal in building those relationships that we're talking about is, is having empathy for people in the position that they're in and, uh, and, and, what, and what they're doing. And that, that goes back to, I mean, even your relationship with us, um, you build those trust in people. I mean, Garrett, the guy you let shoot a fully automatic weapon and has serviced you, I, I believe, well. Yeah. And, uh, time he, and time again. Believed time in, and time Believed again. in trusting you yeah. uh, when it was time to sell his home. Who, who did he use? Yeah. We were and I mean, I think you call. found him a 
fantastic home for his yeah. young family. Yeah. Uh, he's got a new dog, little puppy out there now. He's, Does he? Yeah, he's got it all dressed up with a new fence and everything, and he's he's got it he's got it good. He's got a great home. I mean, you guys helped him find a and I think the deal went through without a hitch. It went it went pretty it went pretty well. Uh, you know, there's I don't think there's many deals that don't have some sort of glitch along the way, but yeah. big scheme of things, pretty yeah. pretty pretty well. And uh and yeah, that's man, I, I so let me ask you this. You being a leader in your organization and three decades of experience, how often are you dealing with emotions that play a part in the professionals that work for you? So there's a there's a guy we've had him come speak to our to our group our sales group uh, on a couple occasions. His name's Coach. We call him Coach Pete. Coach Peterson. Uh, he's uh, he's was coach at Wake Forest. Uh, did some women's basketball. Co- uh, women's basketball at Wake Forest. Women's basketball over at TCU. Uh, I think he's involved in some either scouting. He's a retired coach now, but I think he's even doing some scouting for maybe one of the teams in the NBA. WNBA mm-hmm. um, knows talent and. You know, you talked about it earlier that was really, something that was really important. You talked about issues, life problems, and, and Coach Pete called them issues. And he tells a story about whenever he would take these young ladies out of high school and he would bring them into the college basketball arena, and he always let them know. He said, you know, Missy, I just want you to know XYZ University has extended an offer for you to come play basketball here. And the reason that we do that is, is we really believe in your talents and your abilities. We know that you're a talented basketball player and we're going to coach you up and you're going to do well. The other thing that we know for certain is that you've got issues and you're going to have issues. Life is just going to get in the way. But we want it to be clear that the reason why we're extending the offer is because of your talents and your abilities. Now, in the event that your issues ever become equal to your talents, we're going to have a conversation about that as well. Mm. Now, in the event we have to have another conversation about it, that will be at the point that your issues have become greater than your talents. And one of us is going to have to make a change at that point. And I never forgot that is to try to take, for me, which is hard for me to do, to take some of the emotion out of shenanigans or whatnot in the workforce when the issues arise and being able to step back and go, wait a minute, is this a work problem or is this something outside the work? Yeah. And a lot of times it's the outside of the work that is affecting what's going on in the workplace. Yes. And sometimes the conversation is not about their job and about what they do. Uh, It might be, Uh I'm not a psychologist by any means, but uh, being in an organization and and, and particularly running sales guys, as many as 35 at a time, uh, sometimes they share information with you that's personal or things that are going on. and, And you've got to have the ability to be able to listen and really know where they're at to be able to give them advice that other people gave you um, that you may or may not have heeded, which is uh, another conversation. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, you know, learning that lesson from our coach, Tony, was 
Sometimes you do got to sit there and listen to how the watch was built when really all you want to know is what time is it? Yeah. And that's hard. I mean, I, that, I, and I think that's really hard for extremely successful people because we're so forward on momentum that tell me what time it is so that way I can keep the momentum and hearing how the watch is built, it's going to take a lot more time. Or just and, let me fix it. Yeah. Or just let me fix it. Just let me fix it. Just here you go. Abracadabra. Yeah. You're, let me just let me fix good. it. You're good. Right. Yeah. And then, and that's hard, but that's the hard part that comes with being a leader, right? You have people that are, and, and I've not found yet, and I would love to interview the person that could show me different, is you have folks that are dyma- dynamic leaders and folks that are dynamic managers. And I have yet to find a hybrid that can do both. You can do one really good and okay at the other or really good and yeah, pretty good at the other, but not found any human being yet that can be dynamic at both of those traits. And I would love to meet that person and interview yeah. them, like you said, like a unicorn, capture them and say, please, what can I learn from you that I could do both of these great? Because in my side of the house, leadership, I'm dynamic at. Managing, man, I, I'm below the table on. I'm a hor- <laughs> horrible, I'm not detail-oriented. I'm an 80% solution guy. And experience has gotten me to 80. It used to, I mean, it probably started off at 20% when I was younger and then gradually got up to more than majority, right? Uh, 80%, if it's 80% solution, let's go. I have, you know, my risk tolerance is higher than the normal person. I want to go. I don't want to deal with all these things. So if I'm serving in a role that I got to go deal with the things that I don't want to deal with or don't like to deal with, I mean, just naturally as a human being, I'm not going to thrive at those things. Yeah. And you hear different philosophies in business like, well, you know, if you're really good at this, you should really work on your weaknesses because that'll make you greater at your strengths and blah, blah, blah. And I don't know what the right or wrong answer is, but in my opinion is what we did to become successful is we took everything I wasn't good at and I don't even touch it. All I do is focus on the stuff that I'm good at and we are like a Ferrari. It goes back to surround yourself with good people. 100% is your things like, you know, successful guys like yourself do, right? You go get a coach. So all the money that we spend on someone that our wife will tell us for free. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have what's called my faith five. Remember that? I think it was T-Mobile. Um, the commercial where you, if the five people that were in your faith five, you had unlimited calling. Well, now naturally you unlimited calling. But those five folks are the people that I depend on that when – I've got something very challenging. I can call them and say, here's a situation I'm dealing with. And then they are. They're, they're yards ahead of me on, on, on thinking through things. And it brings a sense of that calmness, right? Yeah. Uh, something else we learn now, Tony, is like, hey, when everybody else is ramped up, be calm. You know, something I learned as a police officer is if you want to get people to stop shouting, talk quieter. Because they have to stop and lean in to listen at that point. And if they're not going to stop and lean in and listen, then, well, they've made a decision for what's fixing to happen next, right? Um, you know, somebody, a lot of people a lot of times act like they want to fight, but they really don't. And you got some that really do. Oh, yeah. And we got a lot of men and women out there putting it on the line every day for, for you know, in blue that are doing that. But a lot of times people really didn't want to fight. And then 
if they stopped and leaned into you, then it was like, okay, yeah, let's de-escalate this. Let's, let's, you know, like you said, what's the what's the issue here that is now <laughs> surpassed? Let's get to the, let's get, let's get to the root. <laughs> right, you know, get let's to get the to the root. root of the problem so we can move forward. Yeah. yeah. But I also think with very successful folks, and you and I talked about it a little bit yesterday that I really wanted you to talk about, you got one on each shoulder. <laughs> Tell me about that. Well, I, you know, I think that... Uh, you know, I, you know, I call it ego and empathy, yeah. uh, and I, you know, I think as you know, as leaders and as people, you you've got to have some ego for that drive. Right. You there has to be something that's driving you. Now it may be the greater purpose of something, but there has to be. Some, you've got to have some drive for whatever motivates you. You've got to have that, and then you've got to have empathy on the other side of it. And that scale can't necessarily tip too heavy to one side to the other. Because you wind up being an over-sympathetic person and people running over you to a, a guy over here that's just super narcissistic uh, that, that'll run over everybody at all cost. And so making balancing that scale um, with that drive and still having empathy for people, you can have empathy for people and not necessarily agree with that person. But being able to stop and listen and understanding where they're coming from is a big deal, you know, and, and I tell people all the time that come to my office and close the door and have that talk and they're wanting to st- blow some steam and they're either upset with me or they're upset with somebody else and or they don't agree with something, a policy or something that's been made. And, you know, I tell them all the time, you know, when you're in this office, you can contend vigorously for your position. But we try to make decisions as a company that's best for most of the people all of the time. And you can't just on a whim change a policy, make something like that. You, they're in. We don't want to get in a ditch. We've been in this ditch, and right. but, and sometimes they don't realize that. So uh, sometimes letting that ego get in there. I mean, it, and and the younger you are, the harder it is uh, because we do like to pound our chest, and we don't do enough thinking the people around us. All the people that are doing those eighty percent of the things that you, that you don't like to do. Mm-hmm. I mean. Without them in place, it's hard for you to do what you do because you don't have to wear those hats. And that was one of the things that, that Lonnie, um, talking about the founder of the company, was a genius at was figuring out the hats and where they should go. And, and one of the things that is unique in our organization is, is that we separated sales from production. Now, that sounds hard to believe that most people wouldn't do that. But if you look at any other corporate structure or organization, you always have, I call it production or fulfillment or whatever it is. Sure. And you have the sales department and they're always pulling and jarring at one another. And we separated the two functions because we wanted to our sales guys to be good and trained at going out, diagnosing the problem, helping the people, bring the business to the company, and then let's let our production staff produce the work. This is what they do. You don't want salespeople producing your work, but that's what most of my competition does. It's the industry standard. It's the norm in the industry. And Lonnie was willing to build and, build and grow that uh, into a system to where we saw massive growth in 1990, 19, 1992. Then we had the big Mayfest storm of 1995. Mm. We had the tornado of 2000. We had the massive hailstorm in Dallas of 2000. We had 2003, 7, 8, 9. We had 13 price increases one year. Uh, dealing with all that stuff chaotic, if you've just, our organization set up into pieces. And, and when David Cox came to the company in 1995, he came from a corporate uh, management background. So was able to implement some systems in place uh, from 1995. Because the truth is, we did some things in 1995 that we just, 
wouldn't want to do again. We got into some ditches over there with the type of work and the systems that we were running, how we were managing crews and whatnot. And and we brought in a systematic approach, realized that there was change that needed to be happen and that needed to happen. And and so we've structured our organization all the way through so that we can systematically approach things so that we can be repetitive and increase things. And like you're talking about, we the busier we are, the more chaos that's out there, the sweeter that music is coming out of that violin that we've got. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, talking about the people, it's hard when you have that high turnover, it's hard to perform at that level when you have a high turnover. And because we've had so many people work there for so long that understand what we're doing, and that was Lonnie's goal was, is, hey, the storm, the re-roof industry in North Texas or Texas as a whole, I mean, I've been the president of North Texas Roofing Contract Association, vice president of Roofing Contract Association of Texas, served often on those boards for over 10, 12 years. And we struggle as an industry, uh, as just storm restoration type people. And most people don't know this. Do you have to have a license to be a realtor? Yes. Do you have to be a license to be a plumber? Yes. How about to catch a fish? Yes. Cut hair? Yes. Not to be a roofer? Mm. Do you have to have insurance to be a roofer? Nope. People don't know this about the industry. These are people that are opening up and exposing that seven-figure home, and they may or may not have insurance. They don't have a license because there is no mandatory licensing mandated by the state as in the other areas that we talked about. Now, we do through the Roofing Contractors Association of Texas, an organization that I'm part of, still serve on the board, is there is a licensing process. It's a voluntary licensing process, and you go through and you take a residential commercial test. You do a roofing um, comprehensive side of it as well as a business management side of the test. So we self-police in that manner, and that's voluntary uh, to do that. But with all the roofing contractors that there are in the, in the state of Texas, there's very few of them that are licensed through even RCAT. Do you believe they should be licensed? You know, I, th- I think that it's something that we're working to. It just depends on who polices it. You know, there's been mm-hmm. several bills um, that have been passed uh, in legislature uh, over the last couple of years, one being the deductible bill, which has had massive impact on our, our industry for the better. Uh, most most homeowners don't know that. They get into a situation, a roofer's going to tell them they can cover their deductible. It's, it's It has to be on the front of your contract that that is not taking place. Right. So that's a good sign. Uh, as far as licensing concern, I would like to see roofers license. I mean, the more education, the more continuity that we bring to what we do. Um, it will get rid of a lot of roofers. It will increase expenses. There's been fight over that, and we're going to let that continue on over the next couple years. Um, there's multiple parties lobbying one way or the other for it. Um, but we are, the state of Texas has historically liked deregulated business, which is fine, but the roofing industry has run with like the wild, wild west for so many years, mm-hmm. uh, and, and for a while probably got out of control, uh, as a whole. Uh, we don't have the best reputation as an, a business roofing in general. I mean, we, there's a lot of other industries, uh, other bi- spaces, um, I would say that automotive, automotive repair, by the Better Business Bureau was always ranked high. Um, contractors are not that well thought of. The good ones are. Right. Uh, and that's our goal is to set up a system to create a customer experience that is good, that builds that relationship with that customer. And most people only buy one or two roofs in their lifetime, but they've got children. They've got mothers, fathers, friends, neighbors that we're trying to develop that relationship with. And we fail sometimes. We absolutely fall flat on our face sometimes with the work that we do. But the one thing that I know for a fact, in the 28 years that I've been there, we, we don't walk away from a customer. 
we're there to service them all the way through, even if we have to go back and do it again. I mean, it just happens. Man, that's true leadership in a company right there. You know, that's a... So let me ask you this. Turn back the hands of time and go back and talk to 18, 22-year-old self, right? Not, yeah. and, and, I, and I know when I ask this question on every, every one of these, there could be a stack of things that we could go back and talk to ourselves about. What is one takeaway where you've gotten at being married for 25 years, empty nester, almost three decades of being with the same company? If you could go back and talk to Sean 28, 29 years ago, what is one thing as a takeaway that you have now that you would say, if you don't do anything else, do or don't do this? Well, uh, I'm going to wrap it around a Nike commercial. Just do it. Hmm. Nike had a slogan. that uh, I don't remember exactly what, what the year span was. It was just called Just Do It. And one of the conversations I've had with both of my daughters and, you know, as kids coming out of high school, I'm not sure many of them really know what they want to do with mm-hmm. the rest of their life. Both of my daughters uh, went into college. My oldest one uh, has, is deaf, has a, has a cochlear implant, graduated from high school. You would not know it if you spoke to her that, that, that she had any type of speech impediment or anything like that, but she wants to be a speech pathologist. Uh, tough road to hoe. And my mm-hmm. youngest daughter, who's at Auburn, uh, because of her sister and seeing all those things, you know, she went into speech pathology, but she's in her first semester of college and uh, spoke to her last week. And uh, she's like, Dad, um, I'm going to change my major. She goes, I don't think it's going to be for me. Yeah. And I said, well, really, what do you think is? She says, I think I'm going to go to the business school. And I said, great, you know, knock your lights out. I said, just do it. I said, whatever, whatever you want to do, just do it. Yeah. Work hard at it and give it your best. Just do it. But the other thing that goes along with that is, is as a young man in this industry, I was surrounded by so many because of what Lonnie and and Scotty and Judy and David, everybody was building. I was surrounded by a lot of smart people, people that had more experience than I did. And so I was able to feed off of that and, and people like yourself and Tony and all those other things. And as a youth, you know, I had people tell you a great idea and you're like, man, that sounds awesome. I'm going to do that. And then you don't do it. You write it down, and it's good for a day, an hour, a week. I mean, think about it. How many sales motivation trainers are there in this world? Oh, yeah. I mean, you remember, you know, guys like that are good trainers, like uh, older ones that would be like Tommy Hopkins. Yeah. Uh, go back to Zig Ziglar. These guys put on filled arenas. I've been there, by the way. Build arenas with people, and when they, at lunchtime, man, they're networking, and they are fired up. They leave, man, these sales guys are jacked up, and they're going to go set the world on fire. Less than, and they buy the tapes, the, everything. Less than 1% or 2% of those people ever employ anything they learned. One idea that they learned from these wise people, and that going back 22 years ago, I wish I would have just did it and employed some of the things that, and maybe I wasn't mature enough to handle uh, some of those things. So maybe time was on my side in, in, in some of those things. But just do it. Pay attention. There's a lot of smart people out there. And then thank them for your successes. Mm-hmm. Then thank them. Get that ego off. Don't pound your chest saying, look what I did. Thank those other people that helped you along the way. I think you'll be much better off for that. Yeah. 
That is, man, that's some sound advice for a, and, and it's been really interesting as we've done a number of recordings and we haven't, we haven't broke, we haven't broke, uh, we haven't, we haven't, we haven't broke the uh, path that we're on, which is everybody says something different when I ask them that question so Perfect. far. Yeah. Which has been great because I really expected some, which tells me that's a true, honest answer to that question because no one's using cliches. Well, you know, I would X, Y, Z, A, B, C. Everybody has had something different to say, which is just authentic. And I mean, man, we could probably build an encyclopedia off of, you know, the, what we're doing here. I'm like, I'm waiting for one to repeat itself. And I'm not even going to be angry when it happens because we've just had this long stretch of yeah. hearing all these things different of just going, hey, you could go back and talk to 22-year-old self. Here's the line items that have come up after our guest speakers. And to just go and do it. But like you said, is advice is only as good as if you're willing to not just listen to it, but deploy it. Yeah. Right? You've and man, well, so... Somebody's looking to get some roofing professionals. How do they, how, what, where, where do they go? What do they do? What well, do the, they? Easy, the easiest thing to do today is everybody's got a smartphone. Go yeah. to www.lonsmith.com. There's a form there for you to fill out. You need assistance. You can pick up the phone, call 817-926-8400. Uh, you'll get our Fort Worth office, or depending on where you're at, you can always use uh, the 800 number, which is 800-829-2345. And we'll we'll have somebody there to assist you in whatever form or fashion it is. It might be just an answer to a question. Okay. Well, John, I can't appreciate. I, I can't tell you how much I really appreciate you coming in. Um, you know, this podcast, Winning Strategies Playbook, is about. You know, it, it's great. I want people to generate business off of coming on here and being a guest and so forth. But I really want it to be where the audience gets to our audience. Our target audience is higher performers. And high performers to not feel alone as they hear these journeys of, hey, guess what? You're not alone. It wasn't an easy path. A lot of bumps in the road, a lot of learning. And to hit high levels of success, you have a lot of people that have the spirit, but do they have the courage to do it? Yeah. And, and there's a lot of people that don't, you know, and I don't hate on them for that. But it's one thing, to, like you said, is go, oh, well, I'd really like to go do X amount in sales. But like you said, it was, okay, go do it. Because guess what? If there are certain levels that if you're going to hit, you know, what a lot of people don't see is they don't, they don't see me rolling out of bed at four o'clock in the morning. They don't see me work until eight o'clock at night. And I'm not just talking a couple days a week, you know, six, seven days a week, sometimes 30, 40, 50, 60 days straight at yeah. a time to drive that. Not everybody's wired to do that. No. Nor does a lot of people want to be wired to do that. I know we're winding down, yeah. but I want to say yeah. something when you say about yeah. getting up four or four. You know, I love to talk about getting up early um, because I think most people talk about getting up early that don't get up early. They really don't. <laughs> and so uh, one of my favorite things to do is I'll have guys, I get up early. You know, I get up 530 in the morning. I said, man, meet me down here for breakfast at six. Yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, man, I tell you, so it's funny is I've. Because I'm so ADD is when something pops in my mind, I automatically send it out, right? Yeah. And I finally have gotten better about not doing that. Sending emails at 4.30 waking people up? I mean, I've, I've, I've one, one good buddy of mine, Jamie Peace, fellow Marine, he just, he pings me one day and goes, look, 
the rest of the free world is not up at 4 a.m. I don't know what's wrong with you, but stop sending me messages at 4 a.m. And, and it's so, but, but, and, and it's funny because people often ask, man, you, it must be because of the military and you love getting up at 4 a.m. Like, I can promise you in the history of Ever and Ever, is there one person that hates getting up at 4 a.m. more than me? But to be successful, you're racing the clock and that's, you've got to do the uncomfortable things in order to hit that level of success. And the things I need to do between four and six in the morning, literally, if I waited to do it for from between six and eight, it'd never get done. I mean, a prime example was uh, today is I don't snooze alarms. I generally beat it. I have it set for 430, you know, and it's a rare occasion that the alarm is the thing that woke me up. Usually by 415 latest up. And then once I'm up, I'm up. And, but today, I, that thing went off and I was like, nope, we're doing another hour and a half. And I can't even think, like it has been years since the last time I did something like that. Like even if I went out and tuned it up with some buddies or clients the day before, I still drag it out and get up in the morning. But what happened is I was just, I knew I was going to be recording all day today. And I was just, man, I was exhausted. My brain was dead. And I was just like, man, I need some rest. But here's the trade-off. I was late getting here because sure enough, Yep. All I, I was trying to get some things done and all the things that start popping off at six and trying to get out the door was impossible. And, and then what I did is I didn't, because of my choice to sleep in an hour and a half later, which never happens, ultimately caused me, not intentionally, but to not respect the time of the people that were here already waiting on me to get started to include Tony and Aaron and the rest of the team, like, hey, I mean, five, 10 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I'm not going to kill the world, but still it's not a respect of their time. Sure. All because I made a decision when I should have just drugged my ass out of bed and said, nope, hey, no matter how tired you are, you got to go do this. Yeah. So thanks again for coming, brother. You're welcome. And uh, man, congratulations on all your success and moving forward. And man. Great to see you. All right. Thank you. And uh, don't forget, nominate your hero today. Nominate the hero today. All right. And we'll make sure we push that out on the website.